great to be back. Um, been out of the saddle for a few weeks from preaching here at Foundry. Been in Costa Rica a couple times on mission trips. Been at Fry Road. Um, have not been on officially on vacation yet, believe it or not. But others are, which is great. And I have some really good people here with me, not just my family whom I love, but some that went to Costa Rica with us. One is playing drums with us today. We snuck her, yeah, my guy, which is great. Thanks for helping us out. But I think, I think in all of this, when I, even talking to people who went on the trip, and myself included, um, I think a lot of us are feeling all sorts of levels of exhaustion. I came across this card, a photograph of a card, online that reads, being an adult is pretty easy. You just feel tired all the time, and you tell people about how tired you are, and then they tell you how tired they are. And I don't know if any of you can relate to that. Amen. But it seems like when you ask anyone, how are you doing, it's like, oh, I'm so tired. And if you're not tired, and people say, I feel great, and you're like, what's weird with them? They probably stayed at Holiday Inn Express or something like that. Like, what in the world is wrong with those people? But it, it, it's almost like a, a badge of honor and, and, and of... Um, of, of, of status of saying I'm tired because that means you've done something. Like, what have you done? Nothing. I've just laid around all day, but I'm so tired. Or you just watched the movie, I'm so tired. You just finished binge-watching Netflix series, I'm so tired still. You know, nothing, everything is tired. You just got done driving the car from here to there. And, and granted, t driving is wearisome, but everybody is tired all the time. And here's the thing. Rest is deeply desired within the human soul, and yet it is so elusive. I think I've begun to wonder if we really know as a people how to really rest. We get home from a long day of work, and we drink something to take off the edge, and at the end of the day, the reality is that we're more tired than when we started. It only adds to our exhaustion and we delay the inevitable of feeling overwhelmed and being tired. We go to bed with our screens on, whether on the wall or holding them in our laps, whether iPads or our phones, never reaching this coveted rest that our soul seeks deep inside. And we're left more drained and tired than ever before. In Derek Thompson's article, Working, Amer um, Working is Making America Miserable, he defines this phrase, workism, as the belief that work is not only necessary to economic production, but is the centerpiece to one's identity and life's purpose. And the belief that any policy to promote human welfare must encourage more work. Samuel P. Hutton contends that in this country, we are working longer hours, having shorter vacations, getting less unemployment, disability, and retirement benefits, and retiring later in life than other rich society like ours. See, for many of us, work controls our calendars and is negatively affecting our health, our bodies. Work was designed by God to be a blessing. So don't hear me wrong when I'm talking about work. Work was designed pre the fall of man, pre the sin coming into this world. Work was part of God's design for all of us. It's a way for us to experience his fullness and the flourishing of life for all of us. Yet for many of us, we have reduced work to a means to an end. We're going to work and get promoted as much as we can, make as much as we can, because that's what life is about. After all, that is the American dream. This is what we're going to do so we can achieve X, Y, Z, and we work so hard so that we can play hard, so we think. But the reality is we don't play as hard as we work, 
and that we experience very little rest through it all. See, it doesn't matter if you're a stay-at-home parent or if you're a high-level executive or even if you're retired. What I'm noticing is that people are perpetually tired. Not only are they tired, there's this close second to it, which is they are overwhelmed. They're overwhelmed with all sorts of scenarios and situations in their own lives because the demands of life are heavy. They're weighty. See, in their fast-paced lives, our souls, if we're not careful, begin to wither away little by little because we've neglected the soul. And in that, we feel overwhelmed. We're crushed by the weight of that tiredness, of that exhaustion. How many of you are tired? Honestly, just I'm tired. You look around the room and I'm exhausted for so many different things of feeling like we're going through this hamster wheel. I look at this young man raising his hand right here as I'm tired. No, I'm, I'm thinking this whole idea, this, this epidemic of being tired is getting to younger and younger people. Talking to people in their teens, early 20s, people are saying to me, I'm tired. I'm exhausted. They're feeling all of these overwhelming feelings, whether it's due to anxiety and fear and performance-based and achievement. Many we've done it to ourselves, but we live in a world that is trying to conform us to its pattern, and it's beginning to distort us from the inside out. But here's the thing. We're in a culture fixated on ambition and achievement at whatever cost necessary. We seem to elevate and praise the imbalance of people's lives in exchange for their achievements. But so-and-so was able to achieve this and this and this. Well, yeah, well, they also lost so many families and wives and children along the way, but it doesn't matter because they achieved this. It was the great cost, the sacrifice, whatever they were able to put on the altar. And we elevate the achievement, and we forget the relational piece of it. And at the end of the day, what does it matter? What's it for? See, the pattern of this world will deform us. And I wonder for us as Christ followers, are we cognizant of what is deforming us, what is shaping us in the way that we are present in this world? God, our Father, our Creator, knows us better than we know ourselves, and He instilled within us a rhythm of altering work and rest in time. God instituted regular rest into our lives known as the Sabbath. Yet many people, when they hear that word Sabbath, immediately think it's stupid, it's outdated, why deal with it? And we just don't do it. We think of the Sabbath, there's many misconceptions related to the Sabbath. We think that the Sabbath just means for, as a Christian, that it's that one day that I don't go to work and I get to do whatever I want to do. I don't know if you've ever thought up, the Sabbath, I just get to do whatever I want, this is awesome. But do we really do what we want to do? We play hard, we fill our free time with all this other stuff we think we need to do with activities and events and gatherings with friends and family. And by the time Monday rolls around, we're more exhausted than when we started the weekend. Anybody feel that? It's, it's real, y'all. It happens to all of us. But I think that we've forgotten the point of what Sabbath means. Many of us have never practiced it. What if Sabbath wasn't just for us abstaining or not doing work, but also abstaining from certain things and allowing God to work in our hearts? What would that look like as we arrange our lives? What if we prioritized our weekends in such a way that the Sabbath, that 24-hour period, was actually an anchor, something we look forward to? I think the Sabbath was ever designed to be drudgery for any of us but a place for us to reconnect 
to experience that renewal of strength and emotion that we long for within us. I believe that if we do this as the people of God, we're going to stand out in a culture of go, 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 work, work, work all the time. Yet we have a very vivid example in our midst. People's like, oh, it's a great business model. Chick-fil-A, because of their religious convictions and desire to follow Christ, said, we are going to close on Sundays. You're like, what? It's closed on Sundays. I was going to go there for lunch. No one knows. No one planned lunch for Chick-fil-A today because everyone knows it's closed. They leave over $1.4 billion of revenue on the table each year because they close their stores. Some people think, oh, it's a gimmick. It's not. It's a conviction. They chose to be different, and they're being rewarded. They're not lacking money. They're not in debt because they closed on Sundays. They chose to do something for themselves as a company and for their employees. And I'll tell you, God has blessed it. When you're able to say, I'm going to give those 24 hours. You thought 10% of your money was a lot when the Bible talks about 10%. He wants one day of your week for you to connect with him. How will you do that? Because I think some of us think, oh, i got to connect with God. i got to sit in this place and listen to some guy talk. That's not what I think connecting with God is about. I think it'll look different. We're going to talk about how it could look different for all of us, but I think there's some elements that are present and are going to look very different for you and your family. See, as followers of Christ, rest is both the present reality and our destiny. This is what Hebrews chapter 4 talks about, to strive to rest in the completed work of Christ, not in our own work. So rest must resist exhaustion in this world. This is a way that you and I can be different in this world. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 11, come to me all who are weary and burdened and I will give you rest. Anybody weary? Anybody carrying a burden you can't carry? You're tired of carrying Jesus' invitation to you, to all of us, is would you come to me? Not come to church, but would you come to me? Church is a part of it, but not where we end up. So for many, life has been this rhythm of labor and burnout, busyness and a burden for us. There doesn't seem to be an area in life that is, has not been infected by exhaustion when you talk to people. Even when you talked about this whole thing with, with COVID, we talked that our medical system is exhausted. We've reached its limit. Everything we talk about, our economy, um, petroleum, even everything you begin to look is infected with this word, with this reality. Our exhaustion has led us to unprecedented levels of impatience. And with that goes our kindness, our grace, our ability to extend any kind of compassion and mercy to people. Because I don't know about you guys, but when I get tired, when I'm exhausted, I don't think about anybody else. I think about what I want, what I need, and what would make me feel better. Well, in the world when everybody's exhausted and everybody's thinking that way, it's a very difficult world to be present in. In the praise of slowness, the author Carl Ornay recounts a time when he came across, he was at the airport, he came across this book entitled, and he, was, he fell in love immediately. It says, One Minute Bedtime Stories. He's like, yes. I don't know if you guys have little ones who have to put your kids to bed and you like to read them a bedtime story, and then they pick the big old fat book. You know, it wasn't Goodnight Moon. It was like, what's the long one that Vivi used to pick? Not the Bible. What's the other one? Like she, she, there's another really thick one. She's like, read this. And you're like, oh, you're falling asleep reading it. So this guy sees this book, and he's like, man, this is amazing. I can now do what I have been dreading. Now in 60, in, 60, uh, in a one minute, 60 seconds, I can do this. 
super excited. And as he thought about it more, he, he, he was troubled because he was saying, you know what? I'm now missing this opportunity to connect with my child, to spend this coveted time to do it because I just want to get through it. And here's the thing. I think we all feel this tension with so many things in life. We're trying to do things quickly. We're trying to be more efficient. We're always doing something right now, but we're thinking about the next thing. Everybody's thinking up there, when's Louise going to be done because I have reservations for this place or I got this game or I have something else coming on because we have a hard time being present now because we're looking at that. And by the way, I will go over an hour. This service will, just so you know. Set your expectations, alignment. But here, here's the way it works. We begin to work better at our jobs and being efficient with our time and stewards of our time is not a bad thing, but not at the expense of people in our relationships. Some of us live our lives in such a way we're trying to take care of everything and everyone in our lives, making sure that everyone's pleased, and that creates exhaustion over us. And what happens is we end up resenting everything around us and people at work at the same way because we're trying to perform, perform, to impress so we can move on. You know how the game goes. And yet we're weary and we struggle to find actual time to rest. We know this because we live it in our lives. But here's the thing, even though we know this, very few of us are willing to actually change anything about our lives. Because we're just hoping that a quick prayer will simply fix it, or me going to church or something else, or something will break forth and then I will be okay. Because we don't actually want to simplify our lives. We like them complicated and super busy it makes me feel good some crooked way inside. That's the way of the world. See, time, instead of being viewed as a gift, has been viewed as a tyrant for many because I got to go do this, I got to go do that, and I got to go. Never do I really hear, I got to go be with my mom or I got to go sit with my dad. It's always, I got to go do that thing. We're doers, but we're human beings first. And it's out of that that you and I work. The world works to rest, to play, as Christians, we work from a place of rest, very different. John Tyson writes in his book, Beautiful Resistant, that tyrants control through violence. And this is what happens in our, in our lives. The Trappist monk Thomas Burton wrote, to allow oneself to be carried away by the multitude of conflicting concerns, to surrender to too many demands, to commit oneself to too many projects, to want to help everyone in everything, is to succumb to violence. What is the pattern of this world? Can you identify it? Will you resist it or will you be seduced by it? See, it's so easy to think in this season of life, like it's just for a season, it's just for a season. I'm really busy right now, but I promise you it's, it's gonna clear up. You know, by, by August, I'll be better by August. So August, we can hang out. Of 2024, I promise we're gonna be good. So just this season, just this little season of life. We buy into this thing that it's just going to be for this little while, and this little while turns into the norm of, of, of our lives. This kind of cultural formation and spiritual deformation will lead us to distorted values, blurred vision, and, on, and we will create idols of things that were never created to be gods. And our identity begins to shift, and relationships are strained and ultimately, they end up broken. So you wonder, when you look at the way this world goes, and we're all a part of it, even in the church world as a pastor, you, we have to guard our hearts. What does that look like? And here's one thing I'm convinced of. 
that you and I will not drift into greater devotion to God on the fly. It's not gonna happen on just, oh, one day I woke up and I was more devoted to God. It's not gonna happen. It's going to require some intentionality, some brutal honesty with yourself, some transparent vulnerability, allowing others to say, hey, look at my life, look at my schedule. Because you hear this all the time. I don't have time for this, I don't have time for that. You had the time. You chose just to dedicate it to something else. You had it. Other things with money, it's like I couldn't do it because I couldn't afford it. Yeah, because you didn't have the money. But here's the thing with time. All of us who are present, alive, got the same amount of hours in a week that the rest per- that next person did. And yet we choose to allocate our time differently. And yet we do what we want to do, and yet we remain tired. I'm so tired. I'm so tired all the time. How do we recover from this exhaustion? I'm guilty of it. Part of it is we learn how to rest. And we go into God's word. What does God's word teach us about resting? Lack of rest will lead us to diseased bodies, panic attacks, all sorts of dysfunction in our minds, in our bodies. But what if we invited the spirit of God to say, here's where I am. This is not about making up time or making it right. God is the one that makes us right. We don't make ourselves right. So God, here's where I am. What does it look like now for me to live a life that is ordered by your priorities? How do you want me to order my life? Because if you think you have it all figured out, then this isn't for you. If you think, hey, this is great. I like the pattern I live in my life. Great, I'm good with everything. Great, there will come a time, and here's the thing, spiritual disciplines, the practices we've been talking about, prepare us for those times that are difficult and dark in our lives. If you don't learn how to rest now, when the real busyness of life hits and all the different commitments are coming and are overwhelming you, you don't know how to rest, it's going to be very difficult for you to learn how to rest there. It's like when you're trying to learn how to swim when you're drowning. Very difficult. Very few people actually learn how to do that. I've never talked to one who did. (laughs) This kind of devotion is something that we were created to live into. We didn't get into this overnight and we're not going to get out of it overnight. We're not going to be like, oh, yeah, that's it. I just need a good night's rest. And then suddenly, you're. let me tell you, sleeping is revolutionary. It's key. But it's not the only thing. In Matthew 13, Jesus talks about four different kinds of soils. And then he goes through and he explains these kinds of soils. And he talks about the, anyone who hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes down and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. And then in verse 20, he says, what has... What was sown on the rocky ground, this is for the one who hears the word and immediately receives joy. Yes, God, this is awesome. Yet has no root in himself, but endures for a while. But when tribulation or persecution arises on the account of the word, immediately he falls away. Ooh, things got too tough. I'm out of here. As for, the, as for what was sown among the thorns, verse 22, this is important. This is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and proves unfruitful. And then he talks about the good and fertile soil that receives the word of God and it becomes fruitful going forward. But pay attention to verse 22. But if for what was sown among the thorns, this is the one who hears the word but cares, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches. Are you aware of the cares of the world and the deceitfulness in your life? Entering into a Sabbath creates a space for you to discern what those things are in your life. They're different for all of us. Here's the thing. 
these things that overwhelm us and prevent us from experiencing a, a closeness with God and fruitfulness in our lives and in our relationships. None of these things ever appear to you say, I am evil, let me into your life. Like it never, you're like, oh yeah, I should not let that guy in. It never shows up that way. Hey, you wanna hang out with me for the next 13 months and I will ruin your life? Yes, please, can I do that? Yeah, let's go do that. And then you pick the group, wrong group of friends and that's what happens. Nothing ever comes up that way. Here's the thing, there, nothing of what I'm about to mention and I will most likely step on some toes are evil in of themselves. None of them. None of these things are evil in of themselves. They never present themselves as major spiritual threats. Baseball. Like, oh, no, that's bad. That's on the devil. That's no. Like, yeah, my kids should play sports. That's great. Let's get them on a team. We start getting our kids in teams and everything. Some of these kids, we have several kids now playing in sports, and they're consuming our time, our energy, and everything. We don't have time for God. We don't have time for life group. We don't have time for anybody else except for this one sport. I'm picking on baseball because I love baseball. Here's the thing. That's what I've always wanted to do. We didn't have the money to do it, but that's what I wanted to do. Baseball. Was baseball evil? Some of you are like, yeah, pretty much. No, it's not. It's not an evil sport. If you're a Yankee fan, like here's the thing. It's like <laughs> they're in town Thursday, doubleheader. So here's, here's my thing. That in of itself is not bad. Watching something on Netflix is not bad. Hanging out with friends is not bad. Work's not bad. But you start putting all these big pieces together, and if all of a sudden we feel overwhelmed, what we're seeking, we're not finding. Social media in of itself is not bad. Endlessly scrolling through, trying to figure out some disconnect, something, all of a sudden that's what's consuming our time, everything else. Us at business trying to close that next big, big deal or trying to create this next big event, whatever it is, none of it itself, all of a sudden compiled together, we begin to say, hey, these things have begun to, begun to crowd out the gospel, the truth of Christ in my life. So what would it look like for us to say, I'm gonna be present differently in this world than I've been before? How can my relationships reflect a God who loves and cares for me? How can I be present with these people? See, the cares and deceptions sneak into our lives. They never storm in. But once they are present, they begin to strangle us little by little. And they begin to distort and disorder our priorities. Some of you that I've talked to have done a great job of maintaining a, a, a rhythm, a 24-hour rhythm in your lives. I'm inspired by that. Talking to my wife this week, how, in, pre in preparation for this, what would it look like for our family? Not just me, Luis, but for our family. Hey, family, I'm leaving you for 24 hours. Bye, every week. Like, I don't think that'd go over very well. What does it look like for me and my family to enter into this practice of Sabbath, of resting, and keeping the main thing, the main thing, allowing God to speak? How do we position ourselves to, to hear from God for our lives? We're so dang busy doing whatever it is we have to do and whatever it is we want to do, and we pray on the fly, God bless, God help, and then God doesn't show up. I'm angry at God if he didn't show up. But I don't take time to actually position myself to hear from him in any shape, way, or form in my life. So what would it look like for us together? What would it look like for us as a church to begin to say, I'm gonna, I'm gonna make some time in the midst of this real asphyxiation of overwhelmingness here that I feel around all this stuff that I need to lay this down. 
Are you aware of the yoke around your neck? I think it's Jesus' question to us. Because all of us are yoked to something. We're carrying something. You can't have two yokes on. Eventually one will break or you will break. You can't serve two masters. Either you're yoked to Christ and his pace of living life, or you're yoked to this culture's pace of life. Either you're learning the rhythms of humility and rest, or you're going to be bound in the pattern of labor and burnout. Either you're building your kingdom and what you want, or you're building God's. You can't have two masters. I think part of the reason the church has lost its influence, and by the church I mean us, is because we're just as tired as the world. We get home and I'm not judging. I've been there. Long day of work, shoot, 30 minutes, 40 minutes in traffic. You're exhausted. You pull into the house, you want to chill for a minute, you eat, get to see the people you love, the other people that get on your nerves, they're all there, you love them all. Like, it's great. You want to do your thing? I don't want to go out and talk to my neighbor, hang out. Dude talks too much, that lady's too freaking nosy. I don't, like, what in the world? Can I just live my life for a second? Because we're looking for that place of that renewed strength, and we're not seeking it anywhere. But I wonder for us, if we're exhausted the same way as this culture is, is it possible at all for us to say, we can be arrested people in the, much, in the midst of such weariness. Because I do believe that rest can resist exhaustion. I believe there's a better, a different way of us being present in this life that doesn't have to be draining all the time. See, the violence of speed in our culture has the potential to destroy us. But yet we have this need, innate need, to have a connection with our God, with our maker. And when you and I create that space for us to listen, we recognize the shepherd's voice. God begins to speak to us in a different kind of way. And suddenly it's not about whether this is evil or not, is how is this healthy or not. And this is where you start talking about the Sabbath. Now, I know there's some people that will have objections to keeping the Sabbath. I love the way John Tyson writes it because he summarizes it really well, which is this way. Some say that Jesus is our Sabbath rest and that observing part of the law makes a slave to it all. Others argue that the Sabbath is the pre-law creational ordinance woven into the fabric of creation. They point out that it is only the only command directed to or given to Adam and Eve by God. And then people begin to argue whether you have to observe it or not. I, I, don't, I don't propose that we view it in a doctrinal, legalistic kind of way or even a moral lens right now. But just look at it from a wisdom standpoint in our lives. Think about it, when and where does renewal happen for you? Where does it happen in your soul? We do things like we come back from vacations and we're rested and ready to go, right? No, you come back more exhausted than ever because vacation was work, was a type of work. What if we, I think part of it is, I think we'd, we'd, we'd long for less vacations if we actually learned to Sabbath every week. And then our vacations would really be a different kind of experience for us. And I can tell you, our obsession and our lack of relationship with time is really messed up. And I'm guilty of it. 
Anybody else listen to Audible? Like, well, books on Audible? Yeah, I love it. Anybody use the fast feature? You have like Avalon and the Chipmunks reading books to you? So here's the thing. I, I love the information that comes through. So I speed it up, and they're talking to you. I've noticed there's a correlation between the faster speaking and my driving, too, that goes in there, because I'm thinking about where we want to go. Yesterday, I went with uh, Kevin Ansel from our church and his family to set up beds through this organization. And as soon as we got in there, we had to set up six beds in this um, tiny little apartment. And I said, all right, let's do this. And it was just, uh, we had some people, his wife and his daughter were talking to the family that was there. And I was like, great, let's get this stuff done now. So we very quickly found a system that was very efficient because we wanted to set up these beds as fast as we could and we see if we could set some world record for setting up beds. I don't know what we were thinking. I got so excited when I found a second drill. That means he could work on that side and I could work on this side. Dude, this is gold. Here's the thing. We could do all that and miss the relationship with people. Fly by of our lives. But to enter into the Sabbath will be an intentional step that you take. The word Sabbath, Peter Scacero writes from the Hebrew word that means to cease to stop working. It refers to doing nothing related to work for a 24-hour period. Think about what the 24-hour period looks like. You're like, well, I'm going to sleep nine of them. All right, so do the math. That's okay. Think about those 24 hours. I'm going to dedicate these 24 hours to God. What would it look like for you to do that? It refers to the unit of time around which we are to orient our entire lives, meaning holy, separate to God. Sabbath provides us for an additional kind of rhythm in our lives that reorients us to God's way of being present here. What would that look like? In in Exodus chapter 20, it says, remember the Sabbath day. Remember to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor. Do all your work, but the seventh day is a day The day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. See, from the very start, God designed this life-giving process of working and resting. When we enter into the Sabbath, and this is part of what we do when we gather on a Sunday, it's say, God, my dependence is upon you, upon your person, upon your promises, upon your provision for my life, realizing that it's not about my abilities or my job or anything else. It allows us to discern the things in this culture that are driving us down. Listen to the way we talk. We get together real, um, to pray, and we're like, hey, let's pray real quick. Was God in a hurry? Like, no, but we say, hey, let's, let's pray real quick. How many of you use this phrase week in, week out? Hurry up, we're gonna be late. Anybody say that? Is that a common phrase in your, hurry up, we're gonna be late. We're always late, because the, the clock is ticking. It drives us. We're thinking about the next thing coming up. Time is money. And we work with this. This is our culture. It's fast-paced. We're suffering from time sickness. And a physician, Larry Dosey, says, and he describes an obsession to believe that time is getting away and that it is not enough and that we must battle faster and faster to keep up. And we want to be more efficient We want to get more things done in a shorter amount of time so we can have more free time and we don't know how to free up our time and we end up tired than ever before, damaging effects on our bodies, our minds, our relationships. But here's the thing, when you enter into a Sabbath and you begin to study Sabbath, 
you enter into that time. Let me tell you, this is what John Tyson says. In Sabbath, we step out of the way of the world into the way of eternity. We step into the space of the spirit and life. And it's not that God is not with us during the busy times. It's what carries us through. He's with us no matter what. He's in this hustle and bustle of our lives and the hamster wheel of our lives. But the reality is that the living Christ says, would you take time to rest in me? To get in tune with my power, with my presence, with my provision. Allow his life to permeate your soul. Where does that take place? I guarantee it doesn't happen when I'm speaking up here. So where is that, split, that space, that sacred where you can hear from God, hear what is the cravings of your soul that only he can meet. And you and I are going to be formed by repetition. We practice this. Like, I tried it. It sucks. I'm not doing it anymore. This is, it didn't work for me. Here's the thing. It's like going to the gym and you, you did one of these. One. Nothing. This is stupid. I'm not doing this. This is amazing. I'll try again next year. I'll try another one. But uh, this is dumb. Weightlifting doesn't work, y'all. It didn't do anything for me because you did one. We're going to be formed by repetition in, in our lives. I want to share with you four movements as we close to think about Sabbath, as you think about creating yours. This doesn't mean that you don't talk to anyone, that you don't share life with anyone for 24 hours. Some of you are like, that would be awesome, actually. If that's where you need to start, then figure out how to do that. It doesn't mean that you don't watch football together. Anybody miss football? Look, yeah, it's coming up. I'm just saying. Poor Texans. Anyways, <laughs> you, you gather with friends, gather with family, around a table. Share, be intentional about what you're going to share. That is part of Sabbathing together. And this, these four movements come from um, Marva J. Dawn in his book, Keeping the Sabbath Holy, W-H-O-L-L-Y, Holy and the first movement is to resist. Is resist working? Abstain from doing what you typically do. Hard thing for me is I, I've, I've created habits where I can't put my phone away for days at a time. People are like, I called you, I emailed you, I texted you, left you a voicemail. I was like, I know. And I have a cool thing that organizes them all for me. I will get back to you when I can. Because the thing is, we feel the demand to be at everyone else's disposal. That is draining. You learn how to put your phone away. But not phone away by itself. Like there were people exhausted before they had phones, so exhaustion isn't related to just phones and technology. But to say, how can I live with the technologies there that work for me, not me for them? And for us, for how do I abstain from certain things related to work? Shutting off my mind so I could be away, but yet my, one of my th things my wife says to me is I'm always thinking about work. Like, oh, you're thinking about putting that into a sermon. Isn't that great? Or you're thinking about job-related projects that we're doing, initiatives, budgets, whatever it is. Take time from working and even in your mind. You're going to begin to experience incredible benefits. Can't start with 24 hours? Start with 12. Don't make those eight sleeping hours. The 12 waking hours. Start with those. Think about starting your day in a way that is, I'm going to identify with God in the morning. I'm going to then connect with God in the evening. Be intentional in the 24-hour period of what that looks like. Say, hey, I need some resources. Be glad to help you connect with some resources. Because the Sabbath ultimately is about identity. It's about knowing who God is and what he's done for us and who we are in Christ. Because if we don't know who we are in this world, the world will tell us who we are and what we need to be. So part of resisting that is I'm going to be present 
differently. Understanding that this is where I make the time to resist doing because I am a human being first and I'm gonna be present with God, being present with others that fill my life. And I get to remember that he is our sustainer, that he is our Lord, our Father, our provider, our giver, our healer. You need healing? Take, take those hours and just sit before God and say, God, I need your healing over my life. I have this situation that is overwhelming. And I, you give it to God in those moments. We'll talk about fasting next week, but I think it's, it's powerful what this looks like in our lives. Recognizing that our dependence is not on our abilities, on our network to produce or anything else, that it all comes from God and God alone. In this Resistance, then comes this resting, the second movement and restoration in our lives. Our world has a very unhealthy rhythm, producing a lot of damaging effects to our bodies, to our minds, lack of sleepiness, insomnia, imbalances, stress, slew of mental and physical disorders of all kinds. But here's the thing, we must be willing to change something. So in this rest and restoration to think, okay, what am I going to do differently? Be crazy for us to think that I'm just going to sit here for 12 hours. That's not the way it works. I'm going to engage in different kinds of activities, maybe things you haven't before. It could be something as simple, engaging beauty and nature and going for a walk, going for a stroll, maybe when the sun's not 113,000 degrees outside, but you go outside for a little bit because you haven't done that as a family. You reconnect horizontally as much as you do vertically. It is powerful. Here's the thing, it's not just about relaxing. It's not just about like I get to do whatever I want and binge watch a series and you end up all messed up because you haven't slept well. It's be intentional about the hours that you do have of eating and sleeping, but yet, God, I want to hear from you. I believe that as you do this, you're going to experience renewal in your life. And now some of you are sitting here and they're like, yeah, it's crazy, it sounds great, but you don't understand, I got kids and I gotta drive people here, I don't really have a full day off. Start with small increments of what that's gonna look like for you in your life. Because our souls are rarely restored through mere entertainment. That's not what Sabbathing is. And it's not a day where we just simply do all the things to catch up in life. It's, I'm gonna make you a priority. The Sabbath is a gift for us of weekly restorative rest in our lives. Listen to what he says here as the band comes up. He says, In Exodus chapter 31, God says, it will be a sign between me and the Israelites forever. For in six days, the Lord made the heavens and the earth. And on the seventh day, he rested and was refreshed. Do you think about that for a second? Do you see the benefit of the Sabbath for God? Almighty, powerful God. It says that he rested and that he was refreshed. If that is the kind of benefit and reward that God received out of the Sabbath, how much more do we need that? To say, God, I want this. Should you do something with me real quick? Take a deep breath. Hold it. Let it out slowly. Some of you haven't done that in forever. Do it again. The tension, the stress, the fatigue, the sadness, the worry, 
You're overwhelmed. You're seeking many different things to breathe. Just breathe. Sabbath is where we get our oxygen. Sabbath is where we exhale. It's where he's able to breathe into us. You will be rested and you will be refreshed as you try this. I guarantee it. See, because Sabbath moves us from fear to trust, from worry to faith, from anxiety to peace, from this desire of control over our lives to surrender. Here's the funny thing about rest. It requires intentionality. Sure, sleep will help. Exercising will help. But I can do all and many other things and never Sabbath. The world does a lot of things that seem like Sabbath, but it's not. Allow God to restore your soul, remembering his goodness, his greatness. Think of the relationships you want restored. I talked to someone on the way here. I got to drive my die to church today. She says part of what she does for Sabbathing is she gets to connect with friends she hasn't seen in a while. Because our souls are craving this. They share a meal together. They go out. What if we were to let go of our, our clocks and our calendars for just a little bit and don't be in such a hurry to go do that next thing that we have? of being so impatient that it keeps us from being present with those in front of us. It keeps us being present with God. Because I can't do that. I can't do that. Yeah, you can. You so can do that. Invite the Spirit of God to align your life. Let him remove what he needs to remove. Because I'm going to tell you this. This is only for those who are serious about following Jesus. Only for those who are serious about the way of rest. Who says, I'm not going to give in to this relentless rhythm of work that this culture offers. I'm going to live for Christ and Christ alone. I want my life to mean something. I want my life from this point forward, regardless of what I face and what I've been through, that I want my life to be different. I want to experience a different level of healing and freedom and presence here and now. Anybody want that? See, this is the people of Sabbath. Those are the people that want this. For the ones that want something quick and easy, this isn't for you. Not at all. It's for those who are willing to cultivate that soil that Jesus talked about so that something new can grow that'll give fruit beyond your years. You, this you will pass on to your children. Because they'll remember how you lived your life, the pace in which you lived your life, how you treated people in that crazy, busy pace of life. And Jesus lived it, modeled it, experienced it. And he says, may this also be true of my people. May the way they Sabbath be a sign that they are mine. Let us pray. God, we thank you for your love and your grace. We thank you, Lord, that you call us out from exhaustion into life. I pray in the name of Jesus, Lord, that your spirit would lead us into the rest that you've already given us. May our identity be solidified in who you are and what you've done, not in us, 
Forgive us for the times we've strived to do more, to impress you or others, or to carry the weight of the world in our shoulders as if we're the creators of this world and sustainers. Allow us, Lord, to, to see you for who you are. Reveal yourself to us. May we revel truly in your goodness and your greatness of our lives. Allow us to do this with others as we share meals and, and take our time to be with you as you are with us. May we be a, a people of Sabbath, a people that resist exhaustion with rest. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. As we sing this closing song, it may be new to some of you, but I want you to take a minute to rest in this song. Grace and Juan and the band are gonna lead us. But we're gonna ask God to rest on us. And if that's you, as we sing, I invite you to open your, your hands out wide. You can sit there as we start. It's a way of letting go, but it's also a way of saying, God, I, I receive what you have for me. And whatever it is you're overwhelmed by, encourage you, open your hands and let him take that symbolically, spiritually. Anxiety, fear, stress, sadness. The person said, Lord, here, I want to rest in you right now. Let these words minister to you as we sing. In Jesus' name.